Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello. Welcome to the DJE Podcast. Appreciate you joining today. My guest is Jordan De Silva. He's a second generation CEO of a real estate investment company in DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. And so we talk about his father starting the company in the 80s and kind of what he built and then how Jordan took over as a 23-year-old CEO a couple of years ago. He's 26 now and his father has passed on, but he is now running the company. So talking about all kind of stuff about asset classes. They're in multifamily. They also do a lot of single family, talking about impact investing and some of the uh, work that they do there around providing some additional services for their for their residents, talking about growing the team. They've got an in-house, in-house management and construction company, talking about the Dallas-Fort Worth market, what they're seeing there. We talk about kind of the current landscape after 11 consecutive Fed rate hikes and how that's impacting everything. Uh, and then a lot of other shop talk just from, you know, CEO operator, real estate guy to CEO operator, real estate guy, just kind of trading notes and, and talking shop here. So I enjoyed meeting Jordan, really sharp kid, and um, has got some good things going for that company. If you could leave us a five-star review on Apple, that helps the reach of the show. So much, uh, many thanks to you if you're able to do that for us. We're going to have a word from our sponsors and then into the episode with Jordan. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode is also brought to you by ApartmentEducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at ApartmentEducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Jordan, welcome to the show. Good to see you. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I want to dive in and, and uh, obviously talk shop about real estate like we do here on the on the podcast, but um, want to kind of dig into to your story and your you know current role as, as CEO of the company, but kind of want to hear the genesis of of how that worked out and how the company's evolved. So if you if you don't mind, kind of digging in and sharing sharing that uh, that journey. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's it's a the typical rags to riches immigrant story. You know, Love my it. dad he came to America from India, grew up in India, believe it or not, dreaming of coming to America and getting the American dream. And uh, despite all the odds, he, he achieved that. Um, his journey led him from Indiana to California. He found out about real estate and, and he, he figured as many of us do that real estate was the pathway to generational wealth. Right. And so he, he actually started a manufacturing business and then quickly pivoted to <laughs> getting into real estate. So, uh, and you know, his thesis, which leads to Web City Properties and who we are today was, I'm going to go to places where no one else is willing to go, and I'm going to do the work that no one else is willing to do. So sure. he would buy um, multifamily mobile home parks in the deserts of the Inland Empire of California, Southern California, 
yeah. as well as buying in, in really tough high crime areas. Compton was one of his main markets that he delved into in California. When was uh, so this? Really, like what, what this, time period was he buying stuff in Compton? Yeah, this is in the 80s. So that yeah. was really uh, throughout the, the late 70s, 80s and 90s. Sure. He actually ended up going bankrupt um, due to some investments in the Inland Empire where there was a big crisis, uh, high vacancy, a lot of jobs moved out of the area. So, you know, his thesis was was right in that he was able to build a business in that and and go to a place where, you know, he was able to build that wealth because of his willingness to go and work hard and go to places where no one else wanted to go. But just due to those circumstances, he also you know saw the consequences of what can happen when things go bad. So he eventually got back to the real estate game in the 90s, doing more single family and land in California, eventually sold out of California in 2005 moved our family to Dallas, and then he started buying single family again, this time with no outside investors. And his model was to buy in, again, tough areas that were uh, highly underserved neighborhoods. He would buy it, rehab it, and then sell or finance it to unbankable buyers. So that would be a buyer who could get a conventional loan for whatever reason, bad credit, no credit at all, a lot of immigrant population as well. Uh, So that was the model. We were really a, a note business, Web City Properties, was born out of that. And uh, the model was to do that and do it at volume. So you'd buy 70, 60 deals a year, essentially flipping them, but keeping the note at a higher interest rate. Um, And then along the way, we also acquired a lot of long-term rentals in those areas. Now, fast forward to 2020, unfortunately, my dad passed away. I worked for him for one year out of college, and then I was given the reins to take over. And we have you know, since 2020, it's been a, a very interesting ride, but I was able to take over at a point in time when he had been buying 50 to 70 deals a year. Wow. Great cash flowing notes, all internally funded, no yeah. outside investors. And then a great portfolio of long-term rentals as well in the Dallas market where uh, there was a lot of appreciation happening, a lot of rent no, growth. Yeah. yeah. So in 2020, when I took over, obviously, you know, COVID and the market, you know, just spiking. Uh, in a un- unbelievable way, we we had to pivot. We had to think, you know, and, I, and for me personally, as a younger person, I was thinking, how do we scale this business? And, sure. And really, you, the Jordan? answer. Say it again. How old are you? Uh, 26. 26. Yeah. So yeah. at the time, I was 23 when I took over. Awesome. And Jeez. I was, yeah. it was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> the the market was changing so fast. You know, the properties that we were buying, we were buying houses for 40k, were suddenly 80k. Wow. And I was, I was scared. I was like, I don't want to buy an $80,000 house. My dad always taught me that, you know, you're buying at 40,000. I just didn't know any better. And I, I didn't buy. So uh, really 2020 was a transitional period. 21 was obviously the hottest year we've ever seen uh, in the market. So that was more of a transitional year again of how do we scale? And that was when I decided to get to value at multifamily, did the whole thing that everybody does, joined a mastermind group, yep. learned some of the key skills, and then now, in you know, two years later, we've partnered on a 96-unit deal in Waco, Texas. We've uh, acquired a 12-unit property, uh, but we're still in that stage of wanting to, you know, figure out how do we grow, how should we grow. Sure. And a lot of that has returned back to single-family and buying in volume again. So we're now doing volume single-family, looking to raise a fund in that market, as well as continuing to look for value at multifamily. And now we're also looking into development and, and building single family subdivisions and more. So we've pivoted quite a few different ways, but the thesis really now is all in on DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth, and all in on impactful investments in housing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love DFW Metroplex. For some reason, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I started watching that show Dallas from the seventies. Yeah. And I, I always like, uh, which is basically Yellowstone. I, they just, they, whoever created Yellowstone said, what's worked in the past? Well, Dallas, the Dallas show worked. Let's recreate that in Montana. Um, but you know, they've got this uh, intro for that show, Dallas, it's like flying over Dallas in a helicopter and they, there's nothing right. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God, it just kind of puts it in perspective how much that Metroplex has changed. We, my partner and I flew up there. Uh, uh, I fly a helicopter. We flew a helicopter up there for an event a month ago and was just like it, Dallas, Fort Worth, the whole Metroplex is just, I, I'm with you on that thesis is what I'm trying to say. I mean, it, the growth is just something else. Well, it's just such a large geographic radius. You know, that, that's what people don't necessarily always understand is that, you know, you got counties south and north, west, east of Dallas, Fort Worth that are almost it's like Dallas, Fort Worth as a metroplex is expanding where you see all these major developments, retail entertainment that you wouldn't yep. see in areas like Phoenix or, um, you know, other, other smaller markets that are starting to see that decline now. It's because, you know, in Dallas and Fort Worth, there's still that expansive development that's happening that is allowing the metro to grow even right. after this this major run we've had over the last decade yeah there's so there's a lot of gravity and momentum to the area no there's no question yeah so that's good i think you know you mentioned pivoting we we did the same thing in 2020 and kind of start to look at different ways and really kind of understand the dna of our company and what, what do we really do and i think at the end of the day you know we're trying to create value and create yield right whether yeah. that's our capital or investor capital that's kind of the name of the game and real estate's real estate's the the uh, vehicle, but um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think it's really important, especially if you have an organization and people on payroll and and things like that, you, you need to kind of, as a leader, be looking for that next opportunistic thing to, to be able to branch out into. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's what we think about. And to, you know, on that, it's, it's about utilizing what you have as an organization you know, yeah. I think for for a year or two, we were in an identity crisis on Dallas is so competitive. Do we yes. go out to other markets? Do yes. we do different models? Do we even do housing anymore? Right. Right. But I think we've really honed in on there's enough room for all of us here in Dallas Fort Worth. And that's what we're good at. We know the market more than anybody yeah. else. Yeah. We know the southern sector is that's where the majority of our properties are at. So we know the southern sector of Dallas better than these national guys do. And we're willing to manage scattered site single family. That's another thing, you know, you can single family, you know, we, we went away from it for a bit just because it seemed like multifamily was the way to scale. Right. But we realized that if we know that market better than anybody else. We can still do it in volume if we have the right structure and the right investors. So sure. really the, the, well, the pivot that we should have made, I think at the beginning was, okay, how do we make this into an investment model for passive investors right. and other funds versus what do let's pivot to a product type where we think that we can buy more. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of single family happen at scale with, with in Dallas and other parts of the country. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where we've now arrived at with the diversity of product type in the housing space, but just making sure that we stay true to our identity and what we're best at. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said for home court advantage. We, We've done the same thing in San Antonio. It's like, if we can keep buying deals here, boy, there's a whole lot of efficiency from broker relationships to investor familiarity with the, with the area and the asset to the fact that, you know, we go buy something and somebody on the team, you know, used to work there, or I know the owner, or there's just countless kind of home court advantages that, yep. 
that you give up. Not that that's the only way to do it, but I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. There's, there's, there are a lot of advantages, especially, you know, like what you said, kind of about your dad's point about kind of going that extra mile and being able to do, being willing to do stuff that others aren't, whether it's asset classes or workload or whatever. I think that's kind of the key to success, right? You just, you're willing to do what the, the next guy or gal isn't. Exactly. And you touched on it too about, you know, there is other, you know, you don't have to stay in your home market, but if your home market is San Antonio or Dallas, then why would you, why would you leave? You know, you're in right. a great position. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's just so many, so many advantages that come with it. So what does the, what does the team look like today? Are you guys running the, the management company in-house as a third party? And what is kind of the, you know, the overall structure of the team look like today? Yeah, I think that's, that touches on the point of how we're able to be so good at scattered site single family management sure and also managing in tougher areas is that everything's in-house we've controlled the process for 18 years now we yeah. have about seven full-time people that are majority of them are in property management we also have a full-time cpa a fractional cfo um, we are in the process of hiring a director of acquisitions as well that's going to lead up uh, being able to, to just do more acquisitions with um, development multifamily and single family and help us with our fund so uh, we're growing right now, but we've always been really good at operations and we've, we've kept a team. All of our operations team has been with us for uh, four plus years. So we've got a great team that that always is executing. Yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, it's like a superpower having the operations in-house. It's, you know, it can be low margin. It's difficult work. It's difficult tenants. And to just hand that off to third party. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. We, I decided to build our own management company once we got to a certain stage. And I feel like uh, we're just doing due diligence on a property this week. And, you know, we had 15 of our people out there and I was kind of making the joke, like, we're not going to get this from fill in the blank third party management company. It was like the whole company was out there doing yeah. lease audits and kind of drop everything. And even our, even our director of HR was out there, you know, doing lease audits. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this, this is good. This is this all is hands on deck. <laughs> it's on deck. Yeah. So, uh, you know, no right or wrong. Owning a management company is, is its own, its own beast, but if you can do it well, it's, it's certainly an advantage. <clears throat> so I think that's, that's good. I want to touch on the, the fractional CFO. I mean, you hear more and more about that. Um, you know, our accounting team consists of, uh, of a team of about six folks that's doing all the multifamily. And then we have different Different other types of investments, some some uh, development and some land stuff that's simpler accounting. We kind of have one accountant over over all that because there's just not as much transactions. The multifamily, as you know, is is extremely transaction heavy. Um, how was how's the engagement process been with the with a fractional CFO? What are they doing for you guys? You know, how's how's that been working for you? Because that's a definitely an intriguing model. Yeah, I, th I think it's really you know we we had to, to learn and. I think some companies and some some TPAs can serve both functions. Sure. And you may have a CPA that is serving as a CFO, or you may have a full-time CFO. But I think what we discovered was that the CPA was better served in this function with tax strategies, bookkeeping, investor reporting. Whereas we needed somebody else that was a third party where we could utilize them for a, like an investment committee. And really yeah. looking at nice. you know, as an independent person who can look at us from a, uh, a better viewpoint, you know, a little more zoomed out and see, hey, yeah. where are some, some missing pieces here where you can optimize the financial structures of your portfolio? You know, could we leverage this? Can we change the structure here to make it more advantageous? Um, you know, are you doing the right things when it comes to fundraising? Does this make sense? And then again, on the investment committee side, you know, 
making a model that is separate from your internal model to say, hey, you know, I see maybe this is a missing component of your model that you didn't you didn't take into account. And also just, you know, here, here's our underwriting. Here is all the all the things you need to underwrite this deal. You tell us what you think as well from your 20, 30 plus years of experience. Yeah. And it's a great perspective where we can say, oh, we, we you know, that is a, a valid point and also prepares us when we're going to investors and questions that we may get from them. So that's really the the reason why we wanted to get somebody was just because we wanted that third party that can give us the bad news if we're underwriting a deal sure. we're not we're not seeing some of the things that maybe we're, we're clouded our judgment by. Yeah, a ton of value in that. Um, these are big investments, right? Especially you're taking on investor capital. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on there. Um, I think that's super valuable. Do you ha- are the are they engaged like on an hourly basis or on kind of a retainer for a certain number of hours a month? Or how did you guys set that up? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. So if it's a project like an investment where we know that it's a has a certain scope of work, then it's more of on a retainer basis. Yeah. But then we also have it where, hey, if I need to have an hour-long call because I had a, an issue that came up or I have a question, then it's on a per hour basis. But uh, you know, for budgetary sake, I think it's good to have it more have those scope of works that are very defined yes. and do those jobs. But also I wouldn't do a let's just have a, a set monthly payment. Because sometimes month, some months, if you don't have any deals and you know you're kind of good on your strategy, if you feel uh, nice, then why are you paying that monthly fee? So we set it up in a good structure where it's advantageous for both of us that hey, we're not always going to use you every month, sure. but when we do need you, we're going to have a defined scope of work, or you are available if we need to have a, an hour or two conversation. Yeah, yeah, I like it. That's that's great. That's really keeping it running it lean, and you still got the depth of the expertise there when you need it. I think it's a great model. Um, did I do my research? Did did I see some nonprofit component to what you guys are doing? Yeah, and I, and I touched earlier a little bit about the impact side, and that's really you know our long term vision and, and also how we feel that we can differentiate ourselves. Sure. And it stems back from our original model, right? That which was we were providing, and and I don't think to be fair to to what we were actually doing, it was a highly profitable model. Sure. Um, so there wasn't necessarily an impact first model, but you look back over ten years. People that have bought houses from us, the amount of equity they have in their homes is just outrageous. So um, they were able to take part of the last 10 years of appreciation in DFW. Mm-hmm. And we were able to provide housing opportunities for ownership that wouldn't have happened, uh, you know, had we not been that provider for them. So it stems from, from that original model of seeing our impact in our model and then looking for ways that we can continue to integrate profitable models that also have great impact. And so and, and two, I think it's also responsibility. When you invest in in high, you know, underserved areas, areas that have not had investment uh, oftentimes, sure. I think you have a responsibility to the residents, to the community that you're going to do your part in making sure people are taken care of. Especially as you see areas gentrify, you know, gentrification is a big buzzword that investors like to see areas that are gentrifying, but you also know the downsides of gentrification for people that are living in those areas. And so, you know, I don't think there's a solution for those things. A lot of times displacement is going to happen. It's it's looking at how can I minimize that and how can I do my part to help the people that are going to be impacted by that and get their feedback. So for us, it's a holistic strategy of impact. We provide resident services to our existing residents that move to help improve their, their quality of life, their economic mobility. But it's also engaging with the nonprofits and government leaders in the areas that we invest in and being a part of the conversation of how do we minimize the downsides of growth? 
So I think it's the, those two components of looking for solutions, looking, you know, being present, and then also providing services to your residents that will allow them to improve their quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. It's, it's kind of crazy. You think about being in this business, how many like people's housing you're impacting, you know, hundreds, thousands of people you're, you're kind of, um, you're right in there involved. So it it gets very interesting. Um, so we're talking mid or second half of 2023 right now. Um, this podcast will come out pretty shortly after us recording it. So I think we can kind of do something timely here, but the fed just, you know, did the 11th consecutive hike. What are you guys seeing out there? Uh, you know, we're, we're right down 35 from you guys in San Antonio, but I'm always curious to hear what operators are seeing out there in the marketplace. You know, obviously rates are high, but um, what, what else are you guys seeing? What, what's it feel like to you out there? Just kind of boots on the ground in Dallas. Yeah. And I think it's, it's similar for a lot of people across the country that, there's not as much transactions being done, sure. especially if you, if you don't have a, a great track record, you're not getting sent a lot of the deals that are actually transacting. You're getting sure. a lot of the, <laughs> anything on market right now is pretty much just a Hail Mary to see if anybody's going to bite. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's just not <laughs> happening. So right. I think, I mean, we're seeing that obviously seeing, um, you know, obviously agency is the hottest thing. Everything else is, it's tough to make a lot of deals work with, with community banks, with other, other types of debt. So um, raising has been tough. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's across the board. A lot of, a lot of, um, just people still, I mean, we've talked about this from even a year ago, people were saying the same things. People are on the sidelines right. are not wanting to, uh, invest even just your, your average passive investors are just more, um, conservative right now, which understanding, you know, what, what kind of situation we're into. So that's kind of what we're seeing. You know, we are transacting on a couple of deals, a little smaller stuff, but, um, from a, from a larger scale in the value add multifamily space. We're not seeing a lot of good deals out there and just not seeing people transact, which again is why, you know, I talked about earlier, our single family fund, we're seeing plenty of deals with single family. That's great. Uh, So that's why it's like, okay, well, if we can do it in a way that makes sense and and do it as a fund and and do it scale, then let's go ahead and do that rather than try to try to wait for, for value that stuff to make sense. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think there's always some kind of a buying opportunity. Maybe it's not an asset class that you're most comfortable in, but you know, there's, there's a way to make some deals work, uh, kind of, kind of always. And that's, that's what we've done too, is getting into a couple of different asset classes, which I don't really advise people do out of the gate. You know, if you're learning, there's, there's a lot of shiny objects to chase and you don't want to get stuck in that. But once you're up and established, um, you know, look, it's our job as professional investors to go get deals, deploy capital. And maybe that's, maybe that's a pivot, pivot on asset classes. So, Talk to me about, you know, what does a typical single family deal look like? And then I would love to learn about the fund structure, how you guys set that out, what it's paying, set it up, what it's paying out, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I hate to do this to you. You want to pause the recording really quick, if you don't mind. Sorry. my Yeah. So I think, you know, you look at an average deal that we're buying right now, it's anywhere from 80 to 120 K here in the Dallas area. We'll also buy a little under, a little over, depending on the deal. In other areas, kind of Kaufman, Navarro County, which is southeast of Dallas, sure. so markets that we we like that we are seeing appreciate, uh, and really our our, our um, structure and our model is let us let's gut rehab everything we do. Let's look for ways to add square footage. So nice. oftentimes we'll buy a two one and turn it into a three two. Yeah, uh, we will repurpose a or or you know add the make sure the attic can be livable. We've done that with one property where. It was a four two, and then we also 
uh, finish out the attic space, which added, you know, basically a, a giant room that yeah. they can repurpose into two bedrooms or they can have it as like a den. So, and then uh, just you're like adding, uh, you're adding eight HVAC in the attic and you're able to count that on as square footage. Yeah. If you go to oh, yeah. That's huge. So we're just looking for ways to monetize and or maximize the, the use of, of square footage in each yep. of these spaces and add square footage to, because, you know, you look at our, our, our main tenant base is families. So right. a, a two, one to a three, two, the rent differences are just incredible. Interesting. And so you can buy a house for, for 80 K do a gut rehab and add an addition for hundred K you're in all in at 180 K renting it out for 18 to 1900 yep. um, in an area that you, you believe is going to continue to have rent growth appreciation as more development comes in and then your long-term holding. So yep. indefinitely holding, you know, opportunity for refinance. Um, so that's, that's been our model right now. We actually are not refinancing anything. We're, we're just buying in cash, you know, averaging three to four homes a, a month and awesome. doing our gut rehabs, you know, with our in-house contracting team, everything's in-house on management. So it just allows us, and especially too, we're also doing everything same finishes. So we have scale Love at it. our, our material level. We have yep. our, our key crews that are doing all of this. They know exactly how we want things done. They're reinforcing foundations. They're putting all new plumbing, electrical, adding the addition. So it's, it's almost like a new house when they, when they get uh, the house, house completed. We're getting a great tenant who's a, largely a family that's more sticky of a tenant. Uh, and then you're holding, you're, you're, you know, taking advantage of appreciation of rent growth. You know, we've had ones where we've completed the property. We were all in maybe at, at a one, 150, 140. Um, rent was, you know, 15, 16. And now it's that same property just suddenly went up to 18, 19. So that is an example of what we're seeing in, the, in our market. And how the fund will work is that we will look to raise capital for a long-term, about a 10-year hold where there's opportunities for refinance. And so the model is that you continue to do what you're doing and you just do it at scale. And then you look for ways to refinance. And also you look for ways to have impact. So what I mean by that is you can get a lot of um, various funds that are looking for impact related investments. You can get community reinvestment act dollars from a lot of banks that allocate funds. Yeah, And so you're getting all these people that, and all these funds that need to invest in impactful areas, impactful models. So we can do that and still make great returns by rehabbing our houses in a way that we are, we're maximizing the value of the house, we're maximizing the square footage and adding more square footage, but we're also not over rehabbing. So right. you know, instead of it being 2,400 a, a month and it's a nice modern house with all these modern fixtures, you're making it where it's in a more of affordable build. So your all-in cost is less. You're renting still close to market but you're still providing some leeway there where it's more affordable than other products in the market. And then you're providing resident services on top of that, where which are meant to help them increase their income, increase their quality of life. And so we believe that this model, it combines impact with great returns in an area that is appreciating to where it's attractive for, you know, investors who want to make an impact, but also want to get a great return. So that is the fund model we're looking at. The long-term hold is really due to the fact that, Hey, there will be refinance opportunities down the line to return sure. capital. Sure. But it doesn't make sense for you to sell now because the appreciation in this market is going to be so expansive over the next 10 years as new development comes in. I mean, you're seeing billions of dollars being invested in these sure. in Dallas right now. Yep. The, the fair park where OU Texas is played, the Texas State Fair that is being completely redeveloped. Uh, you're just seeing so much work happen in our market that we are holding everything and we want others to be a part of that. 
Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I appreciate the overview. It's crazy you can buy a house for 80 grand in Dallas in 2023. I imagine well, it needs some work. Yeah. I was gonna say. Um, well, well, tell me about the fund. Uh, we launched a fund, you know, let's see, we're two quarters into it. Um, been it's been interesting. Always love to to see how operators are thinking about that and doing that. How'd you guys set it up? Yeah, so we're, I would say we're in early stages. We haven't done any any formal um formal work on the fund. Oh, we're in early stage conversations with with different uh, allocators, different investors, sure. wanting to just get feedback on, hey, is this something that you would look at? And so far, the feedback has been really positive. Now, the next step is for us to formalize it, figure out our structure, um, and then go do it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Definitely, you know, you get some pressure on you to deploy in the fund model, but there's a lot of flexibility there too. And if you've got, um, the, you know, it sounds like a single family asset class and model you guys have, if there's a lot of runway there to deploy on, then that could be a, a really cool model. And then your investors are diversified across that. And there's some other advantages for your, for your investors in those deals. I love it. Well, what do you guys see ahead for, you know, kind of the, the rest of the year and, and, and around the, uh, you know, over the horizon here, you're a young CEO, you've got um, a lot of momentum here, great market. What's kind of on the horizon for you guys? Yeah. So we're actually closing on a 24 unit portfolio of duplexes and single family homes. Mm -hmm. uh, here and actually next week is our closing date for that. So that'll be exciting. And then we're looking to establish our fund by end of Q3, early Q4. Nice. And that'll be a great launching point for, for next year to really um, be heavy on that. And then besides that, we're continuing to look at value at multifamily. We're continuing to look at residential development for subdivisions. We have a couple of good leads on the land side, you know, where I think we're looking now to let's get the land locked up here, you know, towards the end of this year. And then we'll look for development opportunities in the next two years. Once hopefully rates normalize a little bit more, there's a little bit more uh, appetite for development investments among the um, community of passive investors and, and impact funds. So we will we will be looking for sites. And then, you know, and on the value add side, I think everybody's still kind of just waiting to see when, when the, it's been a year and a half, I feel like, and we're, we keep saying the same thing that the bid-ask spread is, it's still too too much. So it is. I'll continue yeah. to underwrite deals, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's right. Always underwriting deals. I mean, that's how that's how it always goes. Good times or bad, up or down. Um, well, this has been great. I appreciate you sharing the the story and what you guys are up to and and where you've been. Um, somebody wants to connect and, and learn about your team, your company. How can they do that, Jordan? Yeah, our website is, is webcityequity.com, and that is webcity with one b w e b c i t y equity.com. Uh, that's where we'll have all our investor updates, uh, new investment opportunities. You can subscribe to our newsletter there as well. And of course, I'm always on all the all the social platforms at Jordan De Silva. One that the Jordan De Silva original was taken, fortunately. But uh, follow me. I'm, I'm I'm very active, always talking about our story, giving tips on property management, okay, talking cool. about impact, and you know, I'm an open book, so I always like to talk to other investors and and operators in the space and and learn best practices and see how I can add value. Uh, to people across the spectrum as well. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for sharing your story here today. If you're listening, you can link down or uh, scroll down in the show notes there and click through to WebCity. Uh, we'll link out to that. Jordan, thank you so much, man. It's great to meet you. Great to get to learn about your company. Wish you guys uh, continued success. And again, appreciate your time, Devin. You're you're a great operator in the space. Uh, been following you closely over the last couple of years, and I know you're doing great work. So again, I appreciate, I appreciate your time. Yeah, awesome. Be good. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.